Hello podcast listeners and welcome back to episode 3. So as I mentioned last week, I'm on this epic trip that I'm taking from the north of New Zealand down to the south, something I've been wanting to do for the last 6 months since I've been here. Um, I've been stalling it because I've been trying to build up this van and get everything ready for me to travel independently, off grid, all that kind of thing and also get two bikes along with me as well. So if you want to follow that trip, again just check out the Instagram which is at Pedaling Podcast. Follow it along and I'll share kind of what's going on. I mean, I'm not sure what exactly I'm going to be doing just yet, but I'll just, you know, figure it out. So in today's show, I'm talking with Liam Fryery. He runs two magazines, cycling magazines, and he's going to tell you all about them. They're independent as well, which is kind of a big deal uh, in publishing, and it's something that he's going to tell you about as well. We also met up uh, just outside the coffee shop, which, you know, at 9, 9.30, pretty quiet place, pretty good place to do a podcast. However, get to 10, 10 11, and it kind of starts getting a bit busy. So I do apologize for any kind of dogs, cats, people, kids, the general noise of people being around. Um, nothing really I could do. This is just the thing of podcasting when you don't really have control of the environment. So I apologize for that. I erase as much of it out as I can. If I can't, then, you know, what's wrong with the dog? Everyone loves a dog. Anyway, let's jump straight in. So Liam, let's go. Uh, I'm Liam Friary, I'm the owner and director of Pedal Press Limited and we publish two uh, cycling titles. One is called New Zealand Cycling Journal, the other one is called New Zealand Mountain Biker and they're both supported by online platforms and uh, digital audiences as well. So how does your involvement with the magazine end up coming about? Uh, I started out by uh, going for a job interview around about six years ago to work for uh, what was then the New Zealand Road Cyclist magazine and then the New Zealand Mountain Biker magazine uh, as a uh, advertising manager to um, attract new advertising sales for both titles. So understanding the whole advertising world uh, as well as developing this magazine, did that play a big impact in what you know about publishing? Yeah, I think that gave me a very good glimpse in terms of how the landscape works in terms of uh, commitment, in terms of media, in terms of uh, how the, mm, how magazines can be sustainable in this day and age. And it also gave me, um, now that I look back on it, very good contacts within the, within the industry as a whole. So before obviously meeting up, I did a bit of research and your personal Instagram account, something I read on it kind of jumped out at me, was where it mentions you went from obese to athlete and tell me why that's a big part of your life and where you are today yeah sure so um, when I was growing up I was always uh, a bigger child Um, you might not be able to see this podcast but uh, I used used to be pretty big and used to play prop which is uh, in the forward pack of a rugby team and um, throughout my years I I was always pretty Pretty large and overweight. I had the email address Liam at uh, Liam Big Boy at hotmail.com. So you know that was my persona, and uh, and through my teenage years, I sort of got a little bit bullied in school, and and uh, my weight ballooned and ballooned. Um, I went over to Europe for about five years, and uh, some would call it the Heathrow injection. Probably hung out in too few too many bars and and had too many beers, and and my biggest weight was about about 140 kgs. So I, I kind of got lost confidence within myself and, and lost the sight of what I wanted to do. And I remember my mum coming over to the, 
where I was working in Paris at the time and she said I think you you know you, you need to try and address your weight and at that time I looked in the mirror and I thought maybe I, maybe I need to do that and you know I was it was pretty hard for me to get around I was sweating in restaurants and you know it was it was a pretty tough time in my life I had luckily enough I had some friends at the place where I was staying and they helped me was getting into the gym and I used to run or walk run in between trees with headphones on at night because I was worried that anyone would see me and that's how my the process started to 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 come about and how I started to lose the weight and it took me about three years to lose the weight um, I was in Europe for about six months and then I came back and this was in 2000 and uh, late 2008 and then when I got back to New Zealand within two days of being back in New Zealand I signed up to Les Mills and said to myself that I'm going to start to continue on with this with this trend um, luckily enough my dad has been involved in sport for, for many years and uh, he's actually one that him and my mum showcased me to cycling when I grew up. They've both done triathlons um, and dad's done about eight or nine Ironmans before so he helped me on the weight loss journey. He never said that I had to lose the weight but he said I'd help out. Um, in 2010 I hadn't ridden a bike but I'd done several spin studios in Les Mills. We got a bike and uh, there was a journey to do my first Ironman in 2011. Long story short, I did my first Ironman in 2011 and have done five Ironmans to date and uh, and lost around 60 kgs to get to that first Ironman. At that time I worked in another uh, job, I lost all the weight. Uh, so I did my first Ironman in 2011, uh, lost the weight and then after that I started um, pursuing uh, more cycling and more running and swimming and I also started pursuing my own pet project was to go into low decile schools and take bikes in there and uh, talk about my experience and try and inspire kids to lose weight. Um, I got some funding by AMP at the time it's called Do Your Thing and I started my own project which was a non-profitable project to take kids um, from low decile areas and, and teach them how to ride bikes and I suppose kind of that process and the understanding of what I who I was and what I wanted to do at the time I thought I was just fighting and, and wasn't doing too much but you know I, I knew that I could overcome that big challenge of losing the weight and now I think even starting that non-profitable charity even though it's sort of in the background at the moment plays a part in ter terms of what we do now with the publishing magazines done five Ironmans to date, had a normal job, somewhat normal, I worked in the tourism industry for uh, Juicy Rentals and operations manager dealing with all the breakdowns on the road and then fleet supervisor for them and then after about four years I lost it, uh, I worked for them and had lost the weight and they supported me within my journey but I thought I needed to do something bigger and uh, went and worked for a cycling store which is out of the airport for around about six months I thought it was great but I was going nowhere and luckily for me the magazine um, job came up just out on my doorstep and uh, I went for the role and even though I didn't have much experience I had experience of uh, understanding the industry and obviously losing the weight and getting sponsors for, for my own journey so they saw something in me and, and took a punt. So I want to jump 
into the magazine itself like how did you get involved in it and and how did it come to be what it is today like what what happened yeah so uh i worked for spot on publications that owned both titles for around about five years and um i saw the shift within the were within both sides of the sport mountain biking was being was quite slow when i first came into the industry and it's been very prolific over the last five years with, with a lot of platform changes, a lot of tire size changes, and the sport's really, really grown. So I saw the shift within mountain biking more so than I saw the shift within road cycling. Road cycling at the time was, was pretty big, but it was becoming unsustainable. There was a lot of old men in, in Lycra that were you know, getting past the age where they wanted to ride a lot. And, uh, and I was being exposed to a lot of social media at the time. Um, road cyclist was was very much in that genre of um, a lot of the content was just consumable for a month or so and then it would be throwaway and and uh, I was pretty exposed to some really cool lifestyle magazines as a kid skate magazines and surf magazines and I've surfed since I was sort of yay high so I sort of I loved all those aesthetics of those mags you know where it was much more about the lifestyle than it was about um, the fundamental part of the sport and over the next couple of years we sort of road cyclists sort of start to be not as strong as what the mountain biker was um, and I thought I sort of developed a concept in my head about different magazines coffee table magazines uh, monthly publications quarterly uh, biannual magazines you know a lot of heavier stock all that sort of stuff and that came about and my mind was shifting towards that, that genre because I was being exposed to it on social and different brands that I worked with internationally. Um, but the road cyclist was, was staying in that other genre and I didn't have the editorial control at that time. Uh, last This time last year when I took over ownership of both titles, I decided that under my roof we wouldn't be publishing road cycling, uh, road cyclist magazine, so it needed to change. and. That's how we became, how we came about the, the name change and try to shift the subscribers over there, subscribe to the Road Cyclist magazine to, to subscribe to Cycling Journal and rebranded what it was uh, and how the magazine would look. Okay, so what happened this time last year? <laughs> this time last year is, is, is when I started, when I started uh, the journey of my rather busy life. <laughs> Starting a small-time publishing, independent publishing house uh, in Titarangi, which is in West Auckland, which is uh, obviously a great place to ride and, and do some gravel rides. And and uh, this time last year, we were canvassing um, ideas about how the cycling journal would look. And, and one place we went was Worrells, with a, with a different layout concepts about how the magazine could look. And uh, certain industry people had a little little bit of buy-in about how the the title could potentially be re revamped. Um, I was going to press with my first issue um, of a rebranded title, which was pretty daunting. So how does that conversation even happen? Like, do you just happen to just walk in next day and it's yours, or was it something that just transitioned over a long time? Um, what exactly happened? That that evolution started um, probably January of 2017. Um, was a conversation with me and the publisher 
of the owner of Spot On Publications, Chris Gaskell. They own both cycling titles. They owned a caravan show. They also owned a caravan magazine. So they were quite a big publisher. And he said they he wanted to see me retire and they were looking for potential for me to either take on the title and a bit more stronger or hey I could potentially purchase both titles I went away and thought about it and the conversation got parked until sort of May or no like late March the conversation got reignited again I talked about it with some people and then and then it was I suppose put on the cards around uh, May where I said that I'll definitely take it on board and then during that process I was running around like a blue ass fly trying to get everything set up in the background to try and acquire both titles because it's uh, nothing that I've ever done before and I've never run my own business before but I, I said to myself when I was younger that I'd have my own business while I'm 30 and I'm 33 now so I'm I'm there or thereabouts with my with my trajectory. So what's even the like typical way to, to give someone a, a title anyway? Is it like do you just transition a load of files, give the name away um how does it work transfer files transfer the name uh start a start my own company that the both titles can sit under register the company uh get some accounts sorted (laughs) get some email addresses sorted think about where the subscription data goes to oh the the list is is uh never ending And, and actually to be honest we've only because um, I've got such a good relationship with the old publisher that they've, they've housed a lot of the, the data and so there's been a slow process even now we've we've taken over some of the um, different uh, files in the last six months which has just been great because it makes things a whole lot easier. What about this kind of age-old thing we keep hearing that you know print is probably dead or is dying slowly dying what do you think? No print's not dead at all um, I think print just needs to be re-inspired in a different way I think um, it's it's a it's a changing evolution I think the the way in which we we consume print is totally different and if you look at the some of the print titles the prints actually with a lot of negative white spaces on the pages it actually reflects what we see online much more than what print did back in the day so I think you know the old saying goes you can you can either you know, make change. You can watch things change or make changes yourself. So you got to make it change. And um, I, I hope it, it still exists for another 20 years, and I think it will. But I think it's um, it needs to be in a in a way that's attractive. So how do you go about thinking about the next magazine? You know, what goes through your mind? Are you sketching stuff out? Are you thinking about a theme? How do you kind of compile everything together? Kind of, how do you dump all your thoughts and, and, and get to the point of where you're producing something? Yeah, so I sort of, I suppose I come about it uh, in my head. A lot of the creative ideas and the structure comes about during short rides um, that I do in and around my home. And uh, I feel like if I don't have that time on the bike, I don't have that creative freedom. Because the noise of a computer, the noise of a phone, the noise of email, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is, it can all consume you too much and you just don't have that creative freedom. But yeah, I sort of come about it with my head, um, think about themes of of issues um, and I suppose lifestyle approaches and think about how we can blend that in between the pages. Sometimes we have articles that are lined up already 
um, a contributor would have come to me and said, uh, you know, I've got six or seven pages that can run, or this is a story, and here's the photos, and so we might have that on file. Sometimes that does run, and and I want to go where that contributor's gone, or sometimes I want to create my own content, and and that will come about, and I'll create um, specific content. So over the last couple of issues, I think we've refined that a bit more. When I first started, and and with the other publishing house, sometimes you're so busy that you're you're not scrambling, but you're you're only sort of dealing with it uh, after each print run. So you go to print with one mag, and then you start looking at the next mag, and and that does happen um, in the fast-paced world we live in. But I I, I think I'm thinking much more in advance. The last issue we did was was a bit more around the gravel theme. The issue that we got coming up is a little bit of balancing of road, a little bit of balancing of spring events, and then the issue following that will be a bit more bikepacking and exploring because it will be around our summertime. So it kind of sounds like you have a rough kind of agenda and what you're trying to do with the magazine at certain points, um, but in terms of producing content, so I guess you produce stuff now and then produce stuff that's going to be used to, you know, next month or six months ahead. Uh, is that kind of how it works? Yeah, so you've got it you know maybe six months ahead and then you know like you've got a I suppose that there is a formula that you follow like a content uh, plan and uh, you know like there's a lot of it some of it has formulas but you know I kind of I like that formula to to give you a bit of a blueprint but I like to be able to uh, change tack quite easily you know Um, so if something comes up or there's an idea or there's a story concept that comes on my comes across my desk or there's something that I think up I want to be able to go down that that path quite quickly and then that comes about so sometimes they don't come about until two weeks before the magazine but I thought about that for a maybe six weeks ahead and then we just go and do the content trip and then we're just turning it around within two weeks and and we're executing it right there and then and it's fresh in print so when you mentioned that kind of creative freedom um, what, what, what exactly does that always mean um, is it like working for yourself and just setting up your own schedule, agenda and, and your kind of creative ideas, kind of bringing them to life yourself? And do you think that's the big difference you have by working for yourself? Yeah, totally. Like you, you're not restrained by any publisher. You know, you, 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 can, you can go down that creative genre and, and if people are liking it and you're selling magazines and, and, and if there's good reception within uh, the people that are reading it and then also the industry, then, then it's pretty cool. Um, and that, uh, and where we go, and that content oversight, I think, on both titles is what I have now, where I didn't have that before. I'm not a control freak, though. <laughs> so, rather than run one magazine uh, and publish that, you you do two. How do you manage the time between the two of them um, that are kind of quite different in what they do? And maybe start with giving us just a, an overview of, of each of the titles. Yeah. Um, so the brief overview, New Zealand mountain biker magazine covers all aspects of mountain biking from XC right through to downhill to e-bike. Um, it's generally for uh, the lifestyle person that reads the publication um, and that's definitely flat bar. We do have a little, no, it's, def- it's all flat bar. Uh, cycling journal uh, encompasses um, road to gravel to bikepacking and everything else in between it's a bit more on the um, drop bar side of things however we have done a, a few flat bar things in, in the cycling journal as well so cycling journal is a bit more uh, 
I suppose they're both pretty broad titles, but cycling journals are a bit more broad in terms of different aspects of the sport that it covers. So how do you physically run two magazines at the same time? How does it work? Um, through a heavy... Uh, <laughs> through, you know, prioritising what's what's at the top of my list and, and what's going to print during that month. We have... Um, we go to press... 12 times of the uh, 12 times during the year so every month we're on press with either the cycling journal or New Zealand mountain biker so they're six issues per year but for both titles so that's 12 issues uh, so you remember when I said at the beginning about the interruptions that go on around a podcast well we were sitting by a kind of a cute looking dog and a toddler spotted it ran over and fell over oh. ouch what? And obviously the dog started as well. But, you know, these things happen. She was okay, dog was cool, and uh, Liam had some pretty sound advice from it as well. <laughs> this is content. This is content. Actually, something we say in the industry, or something I say, we don't say in the industry, I don't know where I get that from. Mad C. So if, if I go out with a photographer, and you might want to bring this in, um, and we're shooting, and we've got like the, the cameras out and everything else, I'll be like, Mad C, bro. And Mad C is mad content. So like, if it's Mad C, we, we know we got it. This is Mad C. <laughs> so let's get to the name Cycling Journal. Like, How did you come about and get to the name from what it was before to now? Yeah, so I think I wanted to make it um, a bit more broad about what it encompasses. I wanted to remove the road title because um, an industry stat that I had was that road was slipping, road sales were down, and that um, there's uptake of more different genres within the cycling industry. So I think by broadening the title, I could encompass more aspects of what's happening with the ride cultures. So it was the cycling, um, the ride. Uh, there's about 20 different name changes that I went, uh, I went around, and uh, eventually I came up with Cycling Journal. And I really wanted to make sure that we, yeah. So the name came about uh, with the trend within um, cycling right now being involved in so many different genres. Uh, road cycling, I was getting feedback. Uh, in the industry locally and internationally that road cycling was was on the downwards trend so removing the the road title was was a help I think Um, and also removing road out of the title was to remove the lacrosade men that people were consuming themselves with with just cycling I wanted to try and take that away and just become just more all-encompassing so remove any sort of uh, a stereotype I think of, of what cycling and road cycling is about so I removed road from the title and then it became cycling and then it you know cyclist and then there's already a cyclist publication and then ride because I wanted to, for it to be about the journey and the ride but rides already taken then I called it the cycling and then maybe uh, you know um, few different name changes came about and then I thought journal was quite a good way to put it because it could anyone could contribute to it and it's a bit more um, you know life documentary style cycling journal came about and then New Zealand was a potential 
name that we wanted to keep in there because one is I want to have it localised but two is our, my big vision is to have New Zealand on the map as a riding destination for all the world so New Zealand is already a great brand in itself so why not keep that within the title. So how do you go about building relationships and developing them? Um, last week I spoke to Wobbles who you kind of work with quite a bit as well. Um, what's your kind of typical relationship with someone like Wobbles? Yeah, so uh, the relationship's pretty tight with Worlds and, and other distributors within New Zealand. Um, there's constant conversations between uh, myself and them about new bikes that are coming out, new products that are coming out, and uh, and the contacts that I've got within the organisation of different brands, um, different people with different portfolios. They contact me about different um, activations they want to do within within regards to their brands um, and it flows on from there or, or it's a it's a two-way street whereas I, I might see a media release for a new fork or a new wheel and I, I might email that that person that holds that account and they'll put me in contact with the with the person that in the US that holds that account and then we might start that conversation from there so um, there's there's definitely a two-way buy-in but that that relationship has come over time and, and putting in time discussing uh, back in the day advertising with them I still discuss that with them now because I still hold their portfolio for advertising but now I have editorial control so it all blends into one another but the, the key thing you need to have within a small niche industry and I say that domestically and internationally is respect so you need to, you need to make, make sure you've got respect and, and rapport and, and credibility and once you have the credibility then you can start um, talking about different ideas and visions. So what about the bottom line, the big bottom line in print um, and also working with industry people like Wobbles and stuff, what's the, what's the payoff between you guys um, and how do you make it commercially worthwhile um, but publishing itself, like how do you actually make money from it? Yeah, uh, the, the bottom line is a publisher is really hard to make work for sure. You know, it's it's not an industry you jump into to print cash. I, I think that, that that died 25 years ago. Um, I think media uh, is struggling globally, not just in um, cycling within uh, you know news sources, everything else, because there's so many different platforms where people can consume it. Um, but I, hopefully, I. I I believe there's a place for journalism and, and I hope that the world will start to shift and, and start to pay for some of this journalism instead of just consuming everything for free. Everyone has a right for a voice but I think there still needs to be a place for, uh, for topical conversations and uh, incredible sources of, of information. Um, so you make the bottom line work by you know different partnerships that you can start off and then also uh, retail sales and then also subscription sales as well um, you know during the first year of business not gonna lie it's, it's definitely been tough but uh, but those key relationships you have within the industry they can help uh, sustain the fabric of, of a magazine so when it comes to advertising I think most people kind of accept that it's necessary and it's part of a magazine publication um, how do you go about managing the, the balance between advertising in your publication and, and how do you go about kind of getting advertisement and people paying the real money to actually keep the, the, the journal going? 
Yeah, so that's that's managed by myself uh, for both publications. So I, I have I oversee all the advertising that comes in through the publishing house, and I suppose that I, I always look at the. I always look at the page balance, make sure the content and the advertising is is uh, is balanced well. Um, some during summer we we tend to have sometimes a bigger publication, and if the bigger publication means that it's potentially been backed a little more heavily by advertising, but then I want the reader to get as much content as what they would normally get. So the ad pages are normally during are normally. If they're increased, we want to increase the content pages. So what about the people that kind of work with you as content providers, like photographers, illustrators, writers? Um, what's the usual kind of relationship with those kind of guys and how do you manage it? Uh, we have a lot of people approach us um, and they want to work alongside us, uh, from photographers to writers to designers. Um, a lot of the people that work for the publication, especially for the mountain bike publication, have worked there for for years, so they have a really good understanding of what what's needed. I have an editor that works for the that works for me. He's on a mountain biker magazine, and he deals with contributors himself, and we deal with um, cycling journal contributors. But uh, emails on our website, so anyone want to get in touch and, and get in touch, and, and we, we we go through their work. We we talk to them about what they want to try and highlight and. Sometimes people make the pay grade and some people don't, don't but it's just um, that's the way in which we, we need to work and there's only so many pages that we can print ink on. So I want to get some advice from my listeners. So any listeners out there who work in content, publishing, design, that kind of thing, um, what kind of advice can you kind of throw these guys to work with people like you, publishers, to get themselves in magazines, working with magazines and doing great stuff? Know your audience. And, and know about what magazine you're pitching stories to. So have you read the magazine? Have you taken time to go through their website? Have you ta- taken time to go through the Instagram channel? Have you done your research over a month or so and then really really got to understand how they communicate to their readers and to their audiences through different means, websites or social media channels and then, and then start pitching your stories in that way? Because I think if you if you try and think about what you want to get out of it so much then potentially the publisher will think about well what's in it for them and are we talking like all media types you know like photographers illustrators and that kind of thing yeah i think that's i think that's pretty pretty true in terms of the photography i, I know that you know now that we've we've changed the style aesthetic in the magazine i, I generally say so that was a vision of mine that we didn't really have. So then, when we, when we were working with the photographers, it was quite hard for them to to give me those photos. Whereas now we've got six issues, and the same with the mountain bike, we were probably about four issues deep with the with the new style. Whereas I'm like, well, go and pick it up, or I'll send you a free copy, and consume yourself with the content that we're producing, and go online and check it out, and check out Instagram, and then that that can really give you a good understanding of where the vision is. I believe. If you don't, if you don't get that vision, then maybe you need to look at uh, how you how you process <laughs> engaging that content. I don't know, you know. And what about advice for people wanting to start something like a publication? You know, whether it's big, it's small, it's a, a zine or it's an online that kind of thing. Uh, you know, what kind of advice would you give to someone 
jumping into the content production kind of publication? Um, start small. Start off with uh, start with maybe a blog site. Start with growing an audience. Start with getting feedback from from local friends, and then and then think about um, how you can have a point of difference within a world saturated with content. Be open to feedback and criticism, and take that on board. But then make sure you stay on your own vibe and your own trajectory, and make sure you stay true to yourself. But it's achievable. So you know. So what about marketing? How do you tell everyone about what it is you're doing and where you can go and buy it and that kind of thing? Is there like a, a magic to getting all this stuff kind of sorted? No, there's no magic to it. Um, the way in which we market a magazine has is, is totally changed. Um, it used to just be on the shelf space within a retail store, a, a news agent or a, a supermarket, whatever it's going to be. You know, supermarkets are now a cluttered space. Um, shelf spaces are is a fight for not just magazine publishers, for milk, for uh, you know confectionery, for everything else. So shelf space has been limited within supermarkets. News agents are falling by the wayside. Um, the commercial world we live in is, is completely changed. So we need to get our brand out there uh, to different audiences through online channels, through Instagram channels, uh, through websites, and um, and we need to communicate uh, to them in, in different ways by having community events, um, starting our own events and starting different in industry incentives where the brand is, in, is consumed in a different way and then people can relate to the, to the print copy in that way. So I think you, you, I think you need to come at it from a different angle in this day and age. Okay, Liam, I'm going to throw a question to you. If you had to throw in another title, you had to produce another uh, magazine, what what would you choose and, and why would you do it? Oh, that's a great question. Um, there's there's debate within the publishing house for e-bike publication or e-bike platform. Uh, maybe it's not a publication, maybe it's just a website platform. Um, and I think there's different aspects about... I think there's probably not... There's probably, there's probably aspects of, of both titles where you could have a membership platform on the website where people could be part of a, part of a, a group where they, could, where they could communicate to one another and then go from there. Um, and my wife's throwing around the idea of having a surf publication. And, and I'm a big surfer myself, so maybe a surf and skate publication would be cool as well. Okay, interesting. So, so you don't think it's a print publication. You think it's more like a something online some some sort of community growth online that's that's something that we're working on at the moment yeah so um it's a you'll you won't be a subscriber you'll be a member and you'll be a member of nz cycling journal or nz mountain biker and we'll just happen to print magazines that you'll that you'll read every couple of months but that online environment will help you communicate and talk to other cyclists or other mountain bikers there might be ride camps out of there there might be different um, product offerings out of there and there might be different travel entities where we can work to one another so I, I believe that the magazine gives me that the structure and the environment to work in and then we can we can take it to different realms so talking of content uh, 
this big Californian kind of trip you had that you published, how does a big trip like that come come around that you get to go out to America and, and work with loads of distributors and products and brands and people like that? How does that opportunity come about? Yeah, California, actually before California, there was uh, the Midwest that I was invited to. I was invited to um, Trex HQ in Waterloo uh, for the release of the new Midone. So I was flying over there um, for that launch and went to their launch and did some riding in and around Madison, uh, Wisconsin, which is where Trek's from. I uh, rode with a lot of Trek staff um, and Bond Trader staff and, and did some uh, bike packing and then was there for the launch, flew back out to California and then uh, the, the time was spent out in California for the next three weeks and went, went around California content trip and Santa Cruz to some of the brands up there um, when I was initially planning to go to the US I was in the US last year for another launch of the new Amanda um, and I, it was quite a fleeting visit I was only up there for about 10 days so this year was a little bit different um, when I was invited up I thought I might as well spend some time over in the US and create some content while I'm there and then also make some international uh, connections as well. So what I want to know is, how do these kind of events come around? Like, how do you get invited to them? Like, what what do, do they just reach out? Is it part of something that they're up to and they want you to be there, or do you reach out? Or, I mean, how does it happen? Because I kind of see this in magazines all the time. These kind of big, um, broad exhibitions that they kind of do, but um, I never really understand how it kind of works. So. Can you explain and talk about how this one came around? Yeah, so I think the the email first comes about. So generally speaking, um, they invite global media uh, to the to the bike launches, and uh, yeah. they go around the world and think about which media is going to be most uh, impactful for the brand. Um, and then the uh, the different offices will contact different journalists around the world and invite them over to to cover the content of the new bike launch or the new cycle event or uh, a new race. So, you know, this is one aspect of the, the on the manufacturing side. Races will do the same within, uh, within tourism bodies will help uh, races get journalists over so they can cover the content so they can get more people over there. Um, earlier on this year, I was in Israel for the start of the Giro so the Israeli um, tourism um, invited some journalists over to cover the start of uh, the Giro d'Italia within Israel. So that's how it, how it works. Yeah. Trade secrets. <laughs> but I, I think it's it's really yeah, it's really hard, eh? Like like dinner parties and stuff like that that people don't. It's really hard to get. It's really hard to get it. You know, like it's. You know, that, that, I suppose to anyone else that's looking through the lens, the Insta lens, let's say, it just looks like a jaunt. But, you know, it's pretty wall to wall. Like, you know, it's 16, 17 hour days, and, and then you got to, you know, so you you got to go to the launch, you got to consume all the content, sometimes do the photography, execute the photography, sometimes go live with the launch that night because the embargo is on so you got to deliver that content get it all out and then you got 
all your other job that you've been taken away from that's happening at some other time zone that you're in front of a computer sitting in a hotel. Yeah, you might be riding your bike or you might be at the Giro in Israel, but I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's bad, but it's it's full gas. You know, and I think there's only certain people that know that in the inside. But from the outside it just looks like you're just having a free holiday. So you're saying it's not really sustainable to keep doing those kind of trips too often? No, it's not the kind of trip that you want to be doing every month. So sometimes it I mean it's um in winter it's definitely the trip you want to be doing every month. But no, it's 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 definitely it's definitely draining and flying halfway around the world is is great, but I like being in New Zealand too. <laughs> so if you weren't doing this job, what do you think you'd be doing? Uh probably taking money from the from the doll. <laughs> Nah, nah. Uh, maybe working for a cycle brand or a distributor is what I'd be doing. Yeah. So, what makes Liam Ferrari tick? What what motivates you to get up and do what you do every day, to hit that publish button, to release magazines on a monthly basis? Kind of, what what is it that drives you to do this every day? It's good. It's <laughs> a great question. Um, because. I suppose I love being uh, the master of my own destiny, first and foremost. It's something that I've grown into over the last year. Um, I like being able to produce uh, work, and I think I, I really want to grow um, cycling within New Zealand, um, and then also grow um, tourism for cycling within New Zealand. So I think that there's that there's that kind of driving force behind it. I I believe in bikes. I think bikes make people better. Um, they've you know they've helped me on an amazing part of my life and, and my journey through life. And and so I think there's a certain part of me that that wants to uh, that wants other people to consume that. So that that's what sort of gets me up in the morning. I've got more than enough work to do for more for for you know 26 hours of the day but i you know i can never get on top of so i'm i'm always driven to get up and and do more and fight for more and it's um it's it's having the having that as your own venture is is something that's pretty cool so as you know obviously pedaling podcast is me cycling back home to the UK some 20,000 kilometers next year um what kind of piece of advice would you give me from a trip home Get PubFit. Pub <laughs> yeah. So PubFit is being fit enough to ride and then have a few drinks and then ride the next day. Talking about beer. So consuming probably two or three pints at the end of a bikepacking trip and then being able to get up and ride another 100k the next day. Then consuming some more pints and then being able to get up and ride the next day again. So your advice is go on not the world's biggest pub crawl. Definitely. Definitely. And then invite me. Hello and thanks for listening to the third episode of Pedaling Podcast. I appreciate everyone's kind of feedback and reviews so far. If you have some love to give, um, please go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and write a review. It really does actually help. I didn't realize how big an impact it actually makes. It allows other people to then find it and review it as well and listen to it and it'll help me kind of grow and get things kind of moving.
In the next episode, I'm talking to Logan Moore, who's from Grit Coaching. He's a local coach in Auckland, New Zealand, um, and he's doing things a little bit differently, mainly with a twisted community around it as well and helping everyone kind of reach their goals with the support of everyone around them. Uh, it's a little bit different as well to what you think of a normal coach, uh, which is why I was quite excited to talk to him. Don't forget, follow me on Instagram, Pedaling Podcast, uh, and online as well, pedalingpodcast.com, and uh, look forward to showing you next week's episode. think it'd be pretty life-changing and what what's what's your what do you want out of it And do you, do, you, do you think that it'll be a, like this will be a venture after? Like, are you trying to push it into a media channel or, or something that may be sustainable for the next 10 years? Or? And the connections are you going to get from each country? Are they going to pass you on, or you made some connections already? Or no, uh, in terms of like the cycling industry that you're going to meet? Yeah, yeah, it's completely open. At the moment, I'm just trying to find like on the state by state. So at the moment, I'm thinking in Australia. I've already kind of like seen a few things happening in India and, 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 and some parts of Asia as well, Vietnam and, and Thailand. So I kind of have a feel for that, but it's more like yeah, just 
find a way pass through and, and see what happens with that. Um, and just yeah, just find ways to find ways. I mean, the challenge is going to be like being able to publish on a weekly basis, and that's what I'm trying to do. Um, which is a lot of work, work uh, ahead of myself. Mm. So like, um, I guess I'll be publishing behind. So I'm going to kind of like chase my tail a little bit. Mm. Oh, you could write a book out too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to, I had to write a podcast. <laughs>